0: Uh, isolating at home, welcome for those of you who are joining us uh, via online, it's still really encouraging to have you tuning in with us. Uh, as we continue working our way through Jonah, you might remember that we began with chapter one last week uh, into chapter two this week and it'd be very handy uh, for me as well as for you if you had that passage open uh, as we have a look at it together this evening. Uh, so that was on page 928. 928. Uh, if you'd flipped it shut during the song. We'll turn to that in a moment. Uh, Well, it was a pretty triumphant New Year's Eve for one of my kids uh, this year, as they proudly announced to the family, I think it was as we were watching the nine o'clock fireworks or something like that, that the year had had seen the successful realisation of their 2021 New Year's resolution. That was a resolution to go a whole year without throwing up, without vomiting. Yes, us, Fredericks, aim high for the year. Um, One of the kids was proud to announce to all of us that he'd achieved that goal uh, over the year that had just gone. And while I applauded my son's ability to successfully carry through a resolution over a whole year, and I can empathise with his desire to avoid the experience of throwing up, Those paralyzing spasms of the gut are designed to expel that which is harmful and noxious to us, aren't they? They're designed to expel that which we find intolerable, that we can't stomach. And it's a potent image that's used in tonight's passage, this idea of throwing up, to describe God's own response to toxic spirituality, to describe God's response to spirituality that he can't Stomach that he finds intolerable. Uh, in the opening chapters of Jonah, we were po- presented with these two patterns of prayer the prayer of the pagan sailors that we glimpsed briefly last week, and the prayer of Jonah the prophet that we'll dig into a little bit further this evening in chapter two. Two prayers, in fact, that God responds to quite differently. We're going to compare the prayers of the pagans and the prayer of the prophet. Uh, from tonight's passage. Uh, Let's have a look, first of all, at the prayer of the pagan sailors. Uh, You might recall last week that when the storm, storm first hit Jonah's runaway boat, and recall that Jonah had gotten into a boat to flee from God's call to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, and as Jonah fled from God's call for him to do that, it was these pagan sailors who ended up ferrying Jonah in his attempt to flee God's call. And when the storm hit Jonah's runaway boats, the pagan sailors had unsuccessfully petitioned their own little g-gods, that is, the own idols that they worshipped, but all to no avail. And confronted with the impotence of their own prayers, as the storm continued to rage, the pagan sailors desperately turned to Jonah and plead with him to know who it is that they should instead be praying to in order to be saved. Uh, Leaving the pagans to try and figure it out for themselves, though, Jonah had no interest in really giving them an answer, in helping them. He told them which god it was that he was fleeing from, but Jonah certainly didn't join in praying for their safety or helping them in any way. Uh, Let's remind ourselves of how it was that those pagan sailors had actually prayed. Have a look with me at verse 14 of chapter 1. So we're we're digging back a little bit into chapter 1 from last week. After having tried to row their boat back to to shore despite the storm and finding that they had no luck in doing that, we read in verse 14, Then the pagan sailors cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord... Have done as you pleased. They then took Jonah and threw him overboard, as Jonah had instructed them to do, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. At first glance, it's a pretty dead simple prayer, isn't it, that the pagan sailors pray? having been told by Jonah that the God that he is fleeing is the God of the land and the sea, they basically just pray, Lord, you are doing as you will. Please have mercy on us. And in fact, this prayer that the pagan sailors come up with sounds not too dissimilar from some of the prayers that we find recorded in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. Popping up on the screen uh, is a prayer that I think kind of sums up, really, the, the pagan sailors and their own attitude. This is from Psalm 135, where the psalmist writes, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him, exactly the same words that the pagans have confessed, in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and their depths. Just as the psalmist declares so the pagan sailors recognise in their prayer that that Jonah's God is greater than all their own so-called gods. Just as the psalmist declares, so have the sailors come to believe that Jonah's God controls everything, even to the very depths of the sea. Such is the power of Jonah's God that he does as he pleases, whether that be in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the depths of the seas. And so the pagan sailors pray that this God, who they barely know anything about, might save them, and lo and behold, God answers their prayer. The sea goes calm, they're saved. And actually, we shouldn't be too surprised that God does listen to the prayers of these pagans. In fact, back at the opening day of Israel's temple. Uh, This is a uh, passage going to pop up on the screen from 1 Kings chapter 8. Back on the day in which King Solomon opened God's temple for the first time, he prayed a prayer at its opening, uh, and he prayed amongst them these words. Solomon prayed, Even for the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, and will come and pray toward this temple, may you hear in heaven, and act according to all the foreigner asks of you. Then all the people on earth will know your name to fear you as your people Israel do. Now, when we're not told that the pagans had prayed towards the temple, Jonah had not told them anything about how to pray to this God that he worshipped, yet these foreigners do pray. And God does hear and answer their prayers. And the pagans respond by fearing the Lord. In fact, in this sense, they even fear the Lord more than Jonah himself had seemingly been wont to do. God's ear is always attentive to those who cry out to him for mercy, even in response to the prayers of those who barely know him. Now, at the same time that the pagans' prayers are being answered, Jonah is fast sinking to the bottom of the ocean, having himself chosen to sink there. Do you remember that it was Jonah's call to encourage the sailors to throw him overboard? He himself had chosen death by drowning in chapter 1 rather than in turning humbly to God for mercy, rather than repenting. He had chosen himself to be thrown overboard. And so far, Jonah has refused to pray at any point in this whole ordeal. Uh, All through the storm, Jonah refuses to pray to his own God, despite being begged to do so by the pagans. Even as he's getting thrown overboard, Jonah doesn't utter a word of prayer. Even as the prophet's life is ebbing away below the waves, he refuses to pray. It's only once, it's only after Jonah finds himself already safely inside the bowels of this miraculously sized fish that God sends to swallow him. It's only then that he suddenly finds a motivation to compose what is a perfectly structured, rhyming, poetic psalm of prayer. It's a pretty impressive prayer, isn't it, for someone who's just been swallowed into the guts of the fish. Let's read it together. We'll read the whole of the prayer. Uh, It's been composed to be a whole. Um, I'll read from Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 to 9. And I wonder, as I read the prayer, if you guys can just ponder as you're listening in, what kind of heart is Jonah displaying in and through these words that he offers to God in prayer from within the belly of the fish? Chapter 2, we'll read from verse 2, where Jonah prays. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols... "'Turn away from God's love for them. "'But I, with shouts of grateful praise, "'will sacrifice to you. "'What I have vowed, I will make good. "'I will say, salvation comes from the Lord.'" While technically and poetically speaking, Jonah's prayer is an impressive prayer, certainly far more sophisticated than the desperate prayers of the pagans, yet there's something just a little bit off about Jonah's prayer, I think, as we read it. I wonder if you've ever gone to the cupboard, maybe to find a bit of food, um, something maybe that's leftovers or even something that's new and it looks good, but the first moment you maybe perhaps get it to your your lips or you give it a whiff, you have a smell of it, you know that it's not going to settle well if it settles in your stomach. There's something like that about this prayer that Jonah offers up to God from the belly of the fish. It has a sense that it's just not going to go down right. Because at the heart of it, I think Jonah's prayer is actually a rather arrogant prayer. It's a self-righteous prayer. It's a prayer in which Jonah can't help. I wonder if you noticed this as I read it. He can't help but blame God put the boot into the pagans and, to top it off, boast about his own religious superiority, all to boot. Look there in verse 3, where Jonah prays to God, right at the start of his prayer. Jonah prays, you hurled me into the depths, all your waves swept over me. Is Jonah really blaming God on the sly for his predicament? God had never instructed anyone to throw Jonah overboard and into the sea. That was something that Jonah told others to do to him because he didn't want to turn around and obey God's call to begin with. And then in verse 8, as Jonah continues to pray, have a look down to verse 8. Jonah prays, those, speaking about the pagans here, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you with shouts of grateful praise. I will fulfill, that is, I will make good what I have vowed to you. While slandering the pagans as those who forsake God's love, Jonah boasts about the faithfulness that he himself will show to God just as soon as he gets out of the belly uh, belly of the fish. Jonah boasts that what sets him apart from the godless pagans is his grateful appreciation of God's mercy. Jonah is boasting that what sets him apart from the godless pagans are the sacrifices and the vows of appreciation that he promises he will yet offer to God. Jonah's self-congratulating prayer looks especially petty once we recall that the pagans have actually already offered God sacrifices and vows. Uh, Have a look back at verse 16 again. Did you notice this as we read through? Uh, As soon as the the storm had gone quiet, we read in verse 16 of chapter 1, at this the pagan men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. They were doing this, even as Jonah's still sinking down into the, the depths of the sea. As far as we can tell, though... Jonah never actually delivers on the vows and the sacrifices that he promises to God from within the belly of the fish. There's no record of him ever delivering on it, as the pagan sailors indeed had done. And I actually think that the final verse of chapter 2 hints, perhaps, at what God thinks of Jonah's beautifully crafted but ultimately self-righteous and arrogant prayer. Have a look at how uh, the, verse, the the chapter rather, finishes in verse 10. We read, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. No sooner had Jonah finished reciting his beautifully composed psalm, than God commands the fish to vomit Jonah out. And it's no coincidence, I think, that this word of describing the the fish's action of vomiting, of throwing Jonah out onto dry land, is used just at the point that Jonah finishes his very pious psalm or prayer. I think we're supposed to see in this fish's vomiting a reflection, a hint perhaps towards what God himself thinks of Jonah's brand of piety. Uh, The word used for vomiting here is one that throughout the Old Testament, is often used to communicate God's disgust or displeasure at someone. It's a word used to describe God's revulsion at that which He finds detestable. Uh, back in Leviticus, chapter 18 and 20, I've got the verses there on your service outline sheets if you'd like to go and look those up later on. God says that He will cause the land of Israel to vomit out those Israelites who prove to be unfaithful like the pagans who had dwelt in that land before them. God says that he will cause the land to vomit out those Israelites who live more in line with pagan attitudes than the attitudes of God's own people. It's a similar idea we find in Revelation chapter 3 actually, where Jesus says that he will spit out or he will vomit out the lukewarm faith of the Laodicean church. Vomiting here is a potent image being used to give us a hint at what God's response might be to even the kind of spirituality that looks as polished and well-composed as Jonah's, to describe God's response to spirituality that he can't stomach, that he finds intolerable. Jesus likewise found such self righteous religion, sickening, didn't he? Do you remember the other reading that we had following on from the Jonah, the one from Luke chapter 18, in which Jesus tells that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the one who stands up and prays boldly and eloquently in words of thanks and praise, thank you God that I am not like those others. Exactly the same tenor of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish, isn't it? Unlike those godless pagans who forsake your love, Jonah prayed, so the Pharisee prays, thank you God that I am not like those sinners. And the tax collector who instead prays in the most simple, unadorned way, God have mercy. And of course we have Jesus himself teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. The words that Jesus himself prayed from his own cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Unlike Jonah's prayer, which is a prayer that sets him apart from those that he looks down on and despises, the kind of prayer that God delights in is one that not only embraces God's humility towards us ourselves, but towards others as well. Last week we wove into our exploration of Jonah chapter 1 some reflection upon Summerhill's own vision statement, a little phrase that will pop up on the screen for us, this longing that we have to be people who are transformed by Jesus. And it's worth us pausing to ask for a moment whether and how the heart that we nurse towards others has actually been transformed by God's mercy, by Jesus' mercy towards us. And the reality of our own hearts will often be reflected in the character of the prayers that we ourselves pray, just as was true for Jonah and for those pagan sailors. Prayers that God delights in, prayers that have been transformed by Jesus himself, are prayers that embrace God's mercy towards others at least as much as they embrace God's mercy towards ourselves even as we pray, perhaps urgently, for justice in the face of wrongdoing. The prayer of a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy will also long for God's transforming work to bring peace and mercy to the one who is the wrongdoer as well. Even as we pray with thanks to God when He vindicates us against those who falsely accuse us as believers, the prayer of a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy might also petition God to bring the light of His grace into the darkness of those who accuse us. Even as we cry out in frustrated and frail prayer to God, pleading with Him to bring a speedy end to evil and suffering in our world, the prayer of a heart that has been transformed by God's mercy might also strive to praise God for his enduring patience, the patience that he displays in not bringing judgment upon an evil and wicked world that has rejected him just yet, so that others might yet have a chance, an opportunity to turn back to him in humility and repentance. Prayers that God delights in, prayers that have been transformed by Jesus himself, are prayers that embrace and delight in God's mercy towards others at least as much as they embrace God's mercy to ourselves. And yet, such a transformation of heart often feels a little bit beyond us, doesn't it? To embrace that attitude of God's mercy towards the undeserving, especially when the undeserving have harmed or hurt or ridiculed ourselves. To embrace God's mercy towards the undeserving, especially in our prayers, is a difficult and complex and sometimes quite a painful thing to have to learn how to do. Uh, later on this year, we're going to have a series of talks in relationship, on relationships in which we'll reflect on what it is to embody compassion, forgiveness, and reconciliation in our relationships with others. These are not easy or simple or flippantly easy things to do and to embody in our dealings with one another. We have to think carefully about what shape God's mercy takes in our dealings with one another. And yet, you might remember that our vision as a church is not that we would be a community of self-realised people, that we would not be a community of people who have transformed ourselves, but rather that we might be a community of people transformed by the Lord Jesus himself. And so, as we get to this middle section of Jonah, there's more yet to reflect on as we go in the coming two weeks. Let's finish our time by actually entrusting ourselves to God's care, asking that God Himself might do that transforming work so that we might have a gut instinct when it comes to our prayers to embody that same mercy and patience and kindness towards others in our prayer lives that God Himself shows. that Jonah himself refused to embody or express. How about we ask that God would be doing that transforming work in our own hearts this coming year. Uh, Dearest Father, we do indeed give you great thanks for the mercy that you have showed to us in and through the Lord Jesus himself. Father, we give you thanks that as we cry out for your mercy, you answer speedily with delight and willingness that you forgive us uh, all our sins our failings that you're attentive to our cry to you in our moments of need and yet father we ask that you might by the work of your spirit continue to transform our hearts that we would long for others to experience and to taste that same mercy of your eternal character Give within us, Father, hearts that instinctively turn to pray that others might taste your mercy as we ourselves have. Hearts that delight when even the most undeserving come to entrust themselves to you uh, and enjoy for the first time the grace and mercy that you are so quick to give those who seek from you. In Jesus' name we pray.